0: Since Max Unger departed in the Jimmy Graham trade, the Seahawks have been looking for a long-term answer at center. Was recently signed Evan Brown signed as that long-term center, or do they have their eyes on some incoming draft prospects to fill the void? Rob Rang, and I'll be breaking it all down in our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, who's out on the road with all these great pro days taking place in the Pacific Northwest. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. It's Transaction Tuesday. Today we'll be looking at some wild card positions that the Seahawks may have interest in picking a player from with one of their two first-round picks, getting some insight from our valued listeners as well, and we'll be taking a look with a roster reset where the defensive line currently stands and what's next to continue rebuilding that unit heading into the 2023 season. Now for your lead story here on our Tuesday episode of Locked on Seahawks. Since the Seahawks acquired Jimmy Graham in a blockbuster trade that included center Max Unger, they have been looking for a long-term answer at the pivot position. Justin Britt was a solid starter for a few years, but since then there's been guys like Ethan Posick and last year Austin Blythe that have been stopgaps the position for a year or two. They have not been able to find that franchise center And one of the interesting signings that they made during this aggressive month of March, they brought in Evan Brown, formerly of the Detroit Lions. And Brown's got a pretty good track record in his limited action as a starter at center in Detroit. They gave him a one-year deal. A lot of people expected, well, there's your starter to replace the retired Austin Blythe and yet Rob at the same time. There's still lingering discussion about John Michael Schmitz and some of these other centers in a really good draft class. And so it's created a little bit of a conundrum for the fan base. Let's kick this discussion off. And we're looking at the game plan at center right now with Evan Brown, a player that's only 26, and he checks off a lot of the boxes the Seahawks are looking for, including the DNA. This guy was an undrafted rookie coming out of SMU. Not picked by anybody, bounced around with three teams in his first two years, and yet he's been a starter for the last two years for a pretty good Detroit Lions offensive line. And so he's been one of those guys that stuck with it and stuck with it, and now here he is in Seattle. It's not surprising that he's a player that immediately jumped out to John Schneider and company
1: yeah he's athletic he's intelligent he he's versatile uh you know he, he's a good football player at the same time I don't know that he is uh necessarily that long-term answer uh, at the center position that Seahawks fans have been craving for um I think that if the Seahawks thought that he was then he likely would have signed a, a longer deal than just that that one-year contract Corbin. but and I think that there's also possibility with, with Joey hunt and uh you know it, it uh, you know Kyle Fuller. Um, you know th- those are some of those other kind of stopgap replacement centers that we have seen Seattle use here over the last several years. And a- as you said, th- this is a pretty good center class. A- and so I- I'm among those who who think that um, the Seahawks should be a club that is looking at the center prospects in this year's draft class, even though that they have. Uh, a couple of players who have a proven track record of starting at the nfl level i just haven't seen enough evidence that that any of them are the difference makers i think that you need um if you want to go to the next level and i think they just this last super bowl just demonstrates this point so beautifully just because of the fact that you yeah, have the kansas city chiefs the philadelphia eagles the two best offensive lines in all of football that were competing at the very end, and they both were led by a spectacular play at the center position. It has been in position of concern for so long now, as you mentioned just a moment ago, with the trade between you know Max Unger and Jimmy Graham. I mean, my goodness, it's been a while. And and again, I do think that Seattle it, has put themselves in position to compete. Uh, at the center position with what they have right now. They don't have to go with the center. But I, I do think that whether it be John Michael Schmitz as a possible top 50 selection, Joe Titman from Wisconsin, top 50 selection. Uh, you, you, excuse me, Luke Whipler from Ohio State. Uh, the, the kid from Arkansas, Stromberg, um, is a good player as well. Olutimi from Michigan as well. So there's a couple of different middle-round options. Corbin, this is a good center class. And I think that Seattle would be remiss if they didn't take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I think the nice thing about this deal with Evan Brown, if you look at the value, I was actually really surprised that the Seahawks were able to get him for just $2.25 million because those watching on YouTube, you may have noticed the stats that I put up there. The season that Evan Brown was a full-time starter replacing Frank Ragnow at center He was in the top six in nearly every pass protection category. And this was not a small sample size. This was not starting two or three games. This was starting 13. So you just look across the board. He gave up just one sack, which technically is tied for fourth. There were three guys that didn't give up any among qualified centers, according to Pro Football Focus. But he was third, giving up just eight pressures, a 98.9% pass pro efficiency rate, which was sixth best. Only one penalty in pass protection, and he had the sixth best grade from Pro Football Focus. And last year, he started one game at center against a very good Washington Commanders defensive line and did not give up a single pressure. I actually have a film breakdown that I put up on that today on All Seahawks, and you can just get an idea. How great this guy is in pass pro, in particular, using his hands and his feet in sync, in unison, working together to keep in front of pass rushers. And it's just really impressive to watch for a guy that hasn't played a lot in the NFL. With that being said, as good as he's been in pass protection at center, last year he took a big step back moving to the gave up about uh Reps. It's not a bad season necessarily, but he certainly showed more vulnerabilities at the guard spot. So as John Schneider said, he's really a center. They're bringing him in right now as the guy to play this position. At the same time, there's no guarantee that he is going to be that starter for them because of all that talent that you mentioned. You just threw out four or five names of guys that could go in the first three or four rounds at the center position. And I'm going to throw one more name into the hat here. Cody Mock from North Dakota State, who played pretty much every position on the offensive line at a high level at the Senior Bowl. Really smart guy, technically sound, tough as nails, a really good athlete on top of that. He is a player that was getting some buzz in Mobile about being a center prospect. So maybe Seattle would look at him on day two because he's also got some upside to play guard or even tackle if you needed him to. Ultimate swing lineman coming from an FCS school, played well against top-notch competition. Though again, there's just a lot of names out there. And after missing out on Creed Humphrey two years ago, that infamous decision to pick D. Eskridge and not pick Creed Humphrey, we've seen him win a Super Bowl in Kansas City, be an all-pro center in its second year with the team. I have a hard time believing that John Schneider this time around, even with Evan Brown coming in, I have a hard time if that guy's there seeing him bypass on the center, especially in this draft class with all the capital they've got.
1: I'd like to think so. Uh, again, I, I think that this is a, a a very good class. And I think that, uh, that Seattle is poised to take advantage of it because they do have those 10 draft picks. And so, um, you know, let, let's just kind of break those prospects down just for for a moment. Um, you know, with, with John Michael Schmitz from, from Minnesota, you're, you're talking about an older prospect. That That's the knock on him. Is he's going to come into this uh, to the NFL at 24 years old. He spent six seasons in Minnesota, an extra year. Because of COVID. Uh, but uh, the, the first couple of years was basically on the bench, just kind of acclimating. Um, then winds up becoming a, a four year starter um, for that team. Um, he's a big, thick guy. He, he's exactly what you want a player to look like. He's a, a team leader. Uh, you know, Minnesota, uh, you know, w- w- with their head coach, um, they believe in rowing the boat. Um that, that's the that's the the mantra there. Um and I mean this guy was the rudder. I mean that, that's exactly what he was. He is the leader of that team, um, and, and so I think that there is some pro readiness to him. That is what what legitimizes him um, as a top fifty selection for Wisconsin, Joe Tipman, who I'm surprised you haven't been bragging about, is a, is a Fort Wayne guy. Um, but um, he played for the team that knocked me out of sectional. So I guess I get ooh, Didn't mean to bring that up a, then. Bias uh, <laughs> uh,
0: against to... him
1: so <laughs> well okay then, then anyways but um uh you know tipman a, again is just he's kind of he's a different guy than uh, the john michael schmidt and he has only been a starter for two years um as opposed to four um but at the same time he is the more athletic of the bunch he's the bigger of the bunch um unfortunately a hamstring injury kept him from working out the combine kept him apparently from working out at his pro day as well which is disappointing but uh, you know, again, the athleticism you see on tape. This is a more intriguing athlete. He is not quite as polished as Schmitz. But still, because he is such a bigger man at 6'6", 310 pounds and looks like a better athlete, at least on tape, then that's why he also is going to be going in that top 50 selection. The the best athlete in terms of the guys who tested at the combine at the center position was Whipler from Ohio State. I think that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks were as, uh, you know, had as many people um, at at that Ohio state workout as they did. Um, You know, he is the guy that that really fits in beautifully with what the Seahawks are looking to do um, with their kind of, you know, L.A. Rams style of of blocking a little bit undersized. Uh, I, I like him. This, this is a New Jersey kid that uh, you know the Winter Ohio State is a really highly regarded prospect and kind of sees the job as a sophomore. Um, has been the, the start of the last couple of seasons, so I just like that he's a, he's still a very young player. Uh, we know how the Seahawks have prioritized young players. Wickler's twenty one years old, Corbin, so this is still just a baby here. So to me, he's intriguing, and then. Ola Watimi, I mean, this is a guy who went from Air Force Academy to Virginia uh, to um – Uh, to Michigan, of course, where he wound up winning the Remington Trophy as the the nation's best center. He is power. This is not as quick of a guy as the other type of of players. But talk about pro readiness and and toughness, uh, you know, dependability. I mean, he is all those things and more. Um, And then, again, I I mentioned uh, from Arkansas, uh, Ricky Stromberg. He is a player that – I just like his positional versatility. To me, he is a guy that has been able to play guard. He's been able to play center. He's been doing it against SEC competition his entire career. Um, he's gone against a couple of different head coaching uh, head coaches. So it really has showed that he can acclimate to different systems and still been successful. He is not a guy that wows you. But he's the guy that kind of you, you, you grow an affinity for as you watch him on tape. And you just appreciate the kind of the, the technique with which he wins with. He's the kind of guy the Seahawks have kind of gone with in the past as well. So, again, if they want to go in the early rounds, I think there's a couple of candidates, again, in Schmitz and, and Titman. If they want to go a little bit later, I, I still think that there's the middle-round candidates in this draft class, Corbin, that make an awful lot of sense.
0: Yeah, and Brown allows them to pick a guy in the middle rounds that doesn't have to necessarily start on day one too. And so that could put some of the younger prospects like a Whipler into consideration more because you can let them learn behind Brown compete right away. If he beats out Brown, that, that is a great development for you. So we'll see what happens, but the Seahawks are going into this with a lot of flexibility. If they don't have the guy they want available when they're picking, they don't have to force the issue at center because Brown has shown he's a capable starter, but if they can get a guy they really like with one of those four picks early or even on their middle round picks then they have an opportunity to pull the trigger and add further competition. And it certainly adds intrigue to the middle of Seattle's young offensive line. Coming up next is Transaction Tuesday. We're going to look at the draft, those two first-round picks. What are some wild-card positions that the Seahawks might pick with those two selections? Which ones do fans want to see if the Seahawks are going to throw a little bit of a curveball? reach will read through some fan responses, and we'll dish out our takes as well. Coming up next on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NCAA tournament is heating up with a Final Four on tap. Man, it's been exciting getting to this point. And there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to FanDuel.com and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the nets, whether it's a blue blood like Yukon or a Cinderella like Florida Atlantic. I'm certainly pulling for the owls here in the Final Four. All of that on the app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host and crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s. Whether you're listening from Scotland, Mexico, or nearby in Bellevue, we greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. It's Transaction Tuesday, one of our favorite segments of the offseason, and we've been alternating between free agency and the draft. Free agency has really slowed down, and draft talk's heating up. We're now a month away from the big event in Kansas City, and the Seahawks have two first-round picks. We know John Schneider has a tendency to throw curveballs. He really didn't do that last year, but Maybe he'll get back to his old ways and throw a few wrenches out there for people here in this draft process. And that led us to our question that we posted on social media yesterday. And that is straight up unexpected first round targets. So These could be positions that maybe aren't viewed by the major consensus of people out there as significant needs for the Seahawks. And we've got five different ones, a being receiver, B cornerback, C, tight end, D, offensive tackle, and E, the dreaded running back. (laughs) And we've, of course, got Bijan Robinson on there as our picture to go with that, with all the discussions we've had on this show. And it was really interesting, Rob, looking at the responses. And once again, the 12s just coming out in droves answering this question. We had over 80 submissions on Twitter. We had over 20 submissions on YouTube. You guys continue to kill it again. We greatly appreciate your support. This was one that was pretty across the board. There were a lot of different responses for different position groups. Didn't see a lot of people arguing for Letter D for the offensive tackle position after picking Cross and Lucas last year, but there were a few. So just looking at a couple of responses that we pulled out of, there were so many good ones. We could have had a 50-minute segment going through these responses, but the ones that jumped out to us first one from Justin Van Buskirk if this is at pick five all those positions would be a huge reach but if we paired another elite cornerback with Reek the Freak the pass rush will be a lot better off so arguing corner would be the intriguing position and there's a lot of talent at that position in this draft class John Montalvo says I have to go with a specifically Smith and Jigba I like the idea of flowers or downs from UNC as well but lean towards JSN due to the height, played mostly in slot. The Hawks could use a true number three wide out. And then Daryl Busaki, and this is the one that is interesting. There was actually a lot of people that put E as their answer. I can't believe it. Seahawks Twitter voting for drafting a running back early, saying that's easy. Bajun Robinson is widely considered to be an elite talent, and consensus sure hit. All 32 teams want him, but all have bigger needs. He will fall, but he's not near the top of all big boards. So, hey, that's that talent aspect. And he's there at 20, might be the best player that's available, even in a position that's been devalued. Sonny is a W tweeting at us. We need to clear some cap space. So, an intriguing option is trading, you know, a Fant and drafting Darnell Washington. Some of the other receivers out there are intriguing too, but less likely. And also mentioned Peter Skoranski is an interesting name. If he falls to 20, he'd be a nice guard. So throwing a college tackle – in at the guard position i expect will be gone a little earlier than that and last one here from seattle john said d tackled Dewan jones in specific hawks brought him in for a top 30 visit and i think they are intrigued by the possibility of him at tackle and moving lucas to guard we talked about that in a podcast a few weeks ago rob when we found out Dewan jones was coming out to seattle for a top 30 visit and so As crazy as the idea is that they would draft a tackle, especially in the first round, with how well Cross and Lucas played last year, we know the Seahawks are open to outside-the-book type decisions if it's going to put their team in a position where they are better next year. So any of these positions could be on the table. But if you had to pick just one here of these five, and you're the one making the picks, not John Schneider. Rob Rang is making the picks here. Which one of those five positions do you think makes the most sense for the Seahawks with one of those two first round selections.
1: Well, I'll start off with number five overall, Corbin. And uh, th- I would go with uh, the the ultimate wild card, I guess, in a, in a way. Um, and, and that being the running back, Bajon Robinson, because I do believe that he is that damn good. And if you are going to be selecting one of these types of players, a wild card, then he has got to be a special talent. And at least of the players that are on the screen, again, uh, Zay Jones, the, the, wide receiver, uh, excuse me, Zay Flowers from, uh, from Boston College, the wide receiver, um, Joey Porter Jr., the cornerback, um, Notre Dame's tight end, Michael Mayer, and then Dewan Jones, the big tackle, as well as again, Bijan Robinson, the running back. Again, those are all interesting players. I think the other four listed there um, as as guys for maybe for number 20 overall and i heard a name like jackson smith and jigba uh you know mentioned previously maybe peter skaronsky mentioned earlier that i think would also possibly be in play for number five overall but the only other player on there that i think hat that would be in consideration for number five or in a possible trade down again would be robs just because he is that gifted and and obviously you have a superstar running back in Ken Walker. Obviously, there'd be a lot of Seahawks, Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, who would just be dr- driving off the side of the road and just fury at, at Pete Carroll and John Schneider for this move. But This would be this, an, a Doyle Rules, a Doyle Rules type situation. <laughs> well, here. but, but there, there's a whole philosophy here that I think we should explore just for a moment because there there are some out there who believe that, that the key to building a team is making sure that every weakness is patched. And there is another strategy out there that basically says you want to just dominate in one area. If you can completely dominate in one area, be the absolute best in all of the NFL in one area, then you can, you know, kind of overcome some of those leaks in other areas. And with a running back as dynamic as ken walker is as well as one who has the power the shiftiness but doesn't necessarily have the straight line speed so they would actually uh really complement each other very very nicely John Robinson can walk in the third. I mean, there's an argument for that. So again, to me, that, that's not the direction I think that Seattle should go. If I was making that selection, I'd be going either with the quarterback, if one of them was available that I loved, or most likely with one of those defensive linemen that we talked about so much. You know, but at the same time, if I had to go to the wild card number five, again, my choice would be easy. It'd be B. John Robinson of the options that were presented to us.
0: I don't think there's a player on that list that I would draft at number five, just being honest. Now, if I traded down, somebody like Jackson Smith and Jigba could make some sense. Or one of the corners we talked about on the show, if Devin Witherspoon is there in each nine or ten, they've never picked a corner earlier than the third round under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. But Devin Witherspoon is a phenomenal talent. And he plays with the tenacity and the aggressiveness that you know Pete Carroll wants at the position. Imagine him across from Tariq Woolen for the next several years. And so some of those players would make sense for a trade-down possibility. I'm going to look more at pick 20, and I might surprise some people. I think letter C should be getting a lot more attention here than what is getting. I think there were only a handful of our listeners that responded tight end. But in particular, Michael Mayer, I know he did not have a great – combine didn't run the 40 super fast or anything. I didn't expect he was going to, but put on the game tape. You're going to see a guy that's an outstanding inline blocker. You could move him around the formation and he's such a smooth route runner. He's one of those guys that just plays faster and quicker than what his testing time ever is going to be really high football IQ as well. And I just look at the Seahawks situation at tight end, Noah Fant and Colby Parkinson are going to be free agents after this year. Who knows if the Seahawks view either one of them as long-term guys at that position, but I can tell you with somebody that would be a long-term answer, Michael Mayer, and you know who the happiest person in Seattle would be if they made that pick one by the name of Gino Smith. We know how much he likes throwing to tight ends. We saw it last year. You give him a target like Michael Mayer, who also can get nasty in the run game. Pete Carroll would be excited and Gino Smith would be really excited. So I actually think tight end is the position there. That might be the biggest sleeper to watch because it's a really good class. And I think Michael Mayer is the best of the bunch in terms of fitting what the Seahawks like to do at the position. And so it really creates a lot of intrigue. We're going to keep talking about these wild cards because when you have two first round picks, especially one around 20, there are so many different possibilities. And the Seahawks, they've given themselves flexibility. We talked about it at center, but they've done this at other positions by addressing in free agency John Schneider's got all the cards in front of him, and he can do what he pleases based on how the draft board goes and the players that are available. And so that is an ideal situation for a general manager to be in. Coming up next, we're going to shift to the Seahawks' current roster. The defensive line has been completely overhauled so far during the offseason. We're going to look at the current depth chart, injured players, all different things on the depth chart. And we're going to be discussing what the team has to do next to continue overhauling that line before the start of the 2023 season. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. The Built March Madness bracket is here. We know you have a favorite bar or puff, and now it's time to make it count. Go to BuiltMarchMadness.com to vote for your favorites. You know I'll be voting for Peanut Butter Brownie Bar. I've been doing it frequently. And if you want the San Diego State Aztecs to win, then you'll be voting for the bars associated with them, too. To support your team support your bar and your team and when you vote for your favorite bar or puff you will be entered into a drawing where 50 lucky locked on listeners will get a free box of built bars not only that but one locked on fan will win a 12-month subscription to built to have built's best bars or puffs delivered monthly straight to your door i'm trying to win that baby you got to try built bars built bars are the best protein bar on the planet Seriously, they're so amazing, you won't think they're good for you. And they have incredible macros, like 130 calories and 17 grams of protein. And the best part, 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote for your favorite bar or puff and pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March, so hop in and support your pick. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined as always by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the great 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For your second listen, make sure to check out the brand new Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes. From free agency to the draft, salary cap management, and more. Join NFL experts Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino as they take you through what it's like to build a successful NFL franchise every Monday through Friday. Find Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Maybe the biggest thing that the Seahawks have been looking to accomplish so far this offseason has been overhauling their defensive line. And that's not really a surprise, Rob, when you consider the way that the group underachieved last year. Going into the 2022 season, all the veterans that the Seahawks had, they expected that that was going to be one of the biggest strengths for their team. And yet they had the 31st ranked run defense. And a big part of that was the inconsistency and the struggles from that defensive line. Shouldn't be a surprise that almost every guy that was with that group is either a free agent right now or is on another team. And they brought in some reinforcements. Draymond Jones getting the huge contract. Jaron Reed coming back to town. And yet this group is so far away from being a finished product as well. There's still plenty of work for John Schneider and company to accomplish over the next couple months to finish up this offseason with that defensive line.
1: Yeah, as you said, I mean, it's it's been a big project. I mean, it's literally and figuratively the the biggest job that they've had to do outside of, uh, you know, of course, the quarterback position. Um, You know, I I looked at the roster that that Seattle opened the season with, and and they had seven defensive linemen uh, on their squad. Uh, you know, right now, if you looked at the the roster it's actually on Seahawks.com, then they list six defensive linemen. But if you if you look at that list of of six defensive linemen, then you're you're going to see uh, Puna Ford, who is currently a free agent. You're going to see Brian Monet, who is you know recovering from a torn ACL. You're going to see two guys, in Jared Hewitt, Miles Adams, who signed futures deals, which certainly means that the Seahawks uh, view them as being talented players, but That the rest of the NFL doesn't necessarily view as uh, quite as highly, apparently. So I. I as well as uh, of course the the two free agents that, that you mentioned, Draymond Jones and Jaron Reed. So Zo so Seattle clearly still has a a lot of, of concern a lot of of um you know spots to fill on this squad. Um because I do not know if I believe that Miles Adams and um and Jared Hewitt are, are going to be able to push for significant playing time. I do not know if Brian Monet is going to be ready to uh to be uh you know a full time dependable starter for the Seahawks again this upcoming season. I do not know if Puna Ford is going to be back here. So because of that, Uh, Again, this is a huge area of concern. Seattle does not have a great deal of of salary cap flexibility at this point to go after all those veterans. There are a lot of big names still out there, but they're aging veterans. I personally, I think that Seattle would be better suited to try and bring back some of the guys that they've recently released, like an Al Woods, a Quentin Jefferson, a Shelby Harris, uh, as we've talked about if they're going to be shifting their attention to the draft, and I think that's exactly what they are planning on doing. Then I think that number five overall selection is probably where they're going to start this conversation. And the, the depth is good enough that I think that you can have that conversation again at number 20, or perhaps again in a trade down or all throughout the second and third rounds. Once you start getting into those fourth and fifth rounds, there is some developmental talent there, but not guys who are realistically going to be able to help you, immediately. And so the longer that Seattle waits by having some pretty big holes in their defensive line, to me, that is basically just shining the spotlight saying, Seattle is going to be investing at least a couple of their, you know, they got five picks in the top 83, I believe it is, that they're going to be using at least a couple of those top 83 picks on the defensive linemen.
0: There's a big elephant in the room when we have this discussion, and we've talked about him quite a bit. We're going to talk about him again. And that is number 88 from the University of Georgia, Jalen Carter. He is the elephant in the room here because if he is still on the Seahawks big board, we don't know where he stands. That is behind closed doors. And as much as Rob and I would love to say that we know where the Seahawks and John Schneider stand on that, we have absolutely no clue. So we're left until end of next month to see what happens on that front. But we have to assume right now that there's still a chance because he's such a dynamic talent and he would check off so many boxes. He is a player that can play three, four, four, three. It doesn't matter. You could make up a formation, and this guy is going to find a way to make plays. But there are those question marks about his maturity, his character, his conditioning. We saw that with the pro day and the fact that they had to sub him out so much at Georgia. The Seahawks want to have a guy that's dependable in all of those areas. And so who knows if he's still on that big board. I do think it'll be telling, though, If the Seahawks before the draft don't make any more moves with free agency, they're going to have to do some stuff with their salary cap to be able to do that. But it'll be telling to me if they don't bring back any of those other players, especially somebody like Puna Ford. I thought he'd be signed by now, but Pete Carroll at the league meetings today made it sound like they were pushing to try to get something done on that front still. You know, if Puna Ford comes back before the draft, that does give them a lot more flexibility. And maybe that's a sign. You know what? We're out on Jalen Carter. Doesn't necessarily mean they won't draft him, but that is something to watch. If they go into the draft without making any more additions to this group, though, I think that that is telling that the Seahawks are still torn, at least, on whether or not they're going to make that pick. And so number 88, Jalen Carter, he is the big elephant in the room here. If we're looking at pick 20 or even in the second round, you know, maybe somebody like Brian Breze from Clemson, who used to be a top recruit. He's had some moments. There's been some injuries mixed in there. He might be a player that makes some sense, you know, maybe somebody like Addie uh, Adabare from Northwestern who ran a 44940, you know, he's somebody that might be in the first round discussion now and obviously a really intelligent guy coming from Northwestern. He's played inside and outside among the defensive line. There are other names to consider there. Maybe not the deepest class of defensive tackle, but there are some other names to consider and then the nose tackle position. That's where I think we really still have to have the biggest discussion here. You mentioned Brian Monet and the injury he's coming back from. He hasn't necessarily shown the consistency to be that starter at nose tackle either. They gave him a new contract last year, believing that he could be that player. Now he's coming back from a significant injury. You have no Al Woods. I mean, they don't have a nose tackle on the roster. Miles Adams played a few snaps head up last year and Dang, he tries. He plays hard, and he plays with good leverage, but he is not a nose tackle. They have tons of those three-tack and four-eye technique guys on the roster right now. They don't have those nose tackle types, though, in the middle. And I'm not saying he needs to be a 340-pound guy, but they just don't have any nose types that can two-gap, that can play that position on the roster right now. So that is the real big issue when you look at that depth chart currently.
1: It is the big issue, Uh, and, and we've... Kind of dominated the conversation. We talked about nose guards with, um, you know, the Mozzie Smith from from Michigan, Siaki Aika from from Baylor. Uh, You know, it's kind of potentially ironic that, um, that Puna Ford had played that nose guard position for Seattle and you know, and played his collegiate ball at very, very well. by the way, at the University of Texas, when one of my favorite nose guards in this draft class uh, played at the the University uh, of Texas uh, as well. Um, and uh, you know, and he's he's a good football player. I mean, he's a guy that I think would make a lot of sense for uh, for the Seahawks. Um, you know, he is. Uh, you know, he, he's a, th- a four year starter. Um, he, he's big. He's physical. He, he's that six two, three hundred and twenty five, three hundred 30 pounds. Um and and he's physical at the, again he, he's powerful at the point of attack. He's not going to give you a lot as a pass rusher, but still his power inside uh to me is somebody that that would make some sense for Seattle. So I, again, there are some candidates I think in the middle rounds that you might be able to get if you're just asking them to play a position like a nose guard. We've seen that happen so many times. I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, I was kind of pounded the table about, like, say, Lecky Fotu from Utah, for example. I think you
0: said Lecky Fotu more than any player we've yeah. ever had in draft coverage. I, and, and, sure. and
1: still, and start starting the league, you know, I mean, and that's the thing is that there's that there's some of these guys you just see have that power, but they're, they're specialists. And that's what I've learned is that you're going to be able to find those guys in the fourth or fifth round if they're not going to be able to impact the quarterback. And and so that's where I do think that if that's one of the biggest areas of concern for Seattle, I I still have my questions of whether Seattle is willing to go into next year with a a, a rookie nose guard, a rookie center. I, I just think that that is against what John Schneider believes in. He wants to be a little bit older, a little bit more experienced inside. But I have been pushing for both those positions for a long, long time, because I do think that this this one and done kind of approach, I think it has kind of limited Seattle in some regard. Um, And and so I think that that is a, again, nose guard and center or position. I think that Seattle should be looking at in this draft. It's all about roster
0: flexibility. and, And yes, one year contracts, they're off the books the next year. And so there's some positives to that. But at the same time, wouldn't you like to be able to hit on a nose tackle in the draft? Because now you've got him for four years on an affordable rookie contract. And there's not a lot of bodies. If you're looking for that traditional 330 plus type, there are not very many of those guys coming into the league these days. But uh, you mentioned, I believe you were talking about Keandre Coburn from Texas.
1: Thank you. They also
0: have a Jomo, but he's not necessarily a nose tackle. But Coburn's a guy that would be on that short list. Uh, Clark from Coastal Carolina is probably my sleeper from that group because the guy was a tight end coming into college. And now you could still see some of that athleticism at 330 plus pounds. And he's a monster rushing the passer. This is a guy that has played a couple of years now at that position. So there are some day two, day three options. Western Kentucky's got a big nose tackle that I think could make some sense on day three for the Seahawks too. I'm just now starting to learn about him. But there aren't very many of those big body guys. You might have to look at those 310, 320 guys because Puna Ford can play the nose tackle position. You don't have to be 330 plus looking into some other options that are a little lighter at that position and not necessarily just go for Gert. They could bring back Al Woods. I still think there's a very good chance that that happens because John Schneider likes that veteran presence. But give him a rookie to mentor that can play that nose tackle position because I just wouldn't have faith you're going to have Brian Monet this next season coming off the injury that he's coming off of. And he hasn't been consistent when he has played. It is time to invest in that position in the draft. And there's some quality guys here. So I think you and I would agree that is still the biggest thing they've got to figure out with this defensive line. Who's gonna be playing that nose position, get some more size to this defensive line. I think they'll go for another player that can play those three tacks and four-eyed positions to go with Draymond Jones, Jaron Reed. And I think Miles Adams is going to play a lot of snaps that position. He showed last year he could do it. And he was one of their better defensive linemen the last four or five games in the season. So he's going to get that opportunity. But I think they're going to add at least a couple more players. We'll see if free agency is where they go either. They're going to have to do some things with the salary cap, but somebody like Apuna Ford or, Quentin Jefferson could, in theory, come back if the Seahawks find a way to fit him into their payroll, and so that's really going to be the key there. But I think you and I both agree this is far from a finished product, and I would expect when we get to OTAs that that depth chart is going to look significantly different along the defensive line for the Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube, and other major podcast platforms for free to make sure that you don't miss any of our daily episodes. Coming up tomorrow on our Wednesday episode, we'll continue to dive into our roster reset, and we'll be looking at the receiver position, which has had some defections this offseason. Where do things stand with that group heading into the 2023 season? And we'll continue to talk draft prep as well. Hope you'll be listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.